Good morning, church. It's so good to see so many faces, familiar faces and faces I haven't seen before. Um, so a massive um, welcome. Um, my name's Akeem, um, and myself and Jifa, my wife, um, she's at the back. Um, we've been coming here for a couple of years now, um, and it's so good to see you guys. Um, so let's pray, and then we'll kind of look at God's word. Lord Jesus, we're so thankful that, Lord, when we gather as your people, Lord, you are always present with us, Lord. And, Lord, we come as your body, we come as your people, we come to your table, Lord, to hear from you and to hear what the Spirit is saying to your church, Lord. So, Lord, give us ears that can hear, give us hearts that are prepared, and give us eyes that we may see what you are doing and working and speaking in our midst. The Spirit will have total control of the words that I speak, Lord. Lord, those words which might originate from me, Lord, I pray they just fall away, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that the words that you want your church to hear and to be built up, Lord, may you speak your word that is seasoned and that is in season, Lord. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So two weeks ago, we started a new sermon series titled This New Life. And so you're going to see I'm probably going to weave through things that Kira and Ivan have spoken about because I thought those are the things that God is speaking to us as a church. So firstly, Kira opened us with a series with two questions. Her first question is, where is God inviting us to join in? And the second question is, who is God asking us to create? Um, opened um, a very familiar story of Saul's encounter with the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. And I think Ivan challenged us by asking, we need to ask the resurrected Christ to help us to listen to the leading of the Spirit. I think there's something there in the things they've both have said. So this morning I'll be continuing in the same fashion and the same breath by asking one question, namely, does All Saints Peckham share anything with Tabitha? And in what ways are we like Tabitha? And I will answer this in three ways. The first is, yes, perhaps. We may be asleep like Tabitha. Or to use a harsher word, we may be dead like Tabitha. And second, no, maybe, in terms of verse 36, where it says she was devoted to good works and acts of charity. And in the last way, we hear the words of Peter, very much echoes that of Jesus, where Jesus says, Lazarus, come forth. And Peter says, Tabitha, get up. And I was saying in the same manner, all saints Peckham, get up. So let's read the scripture again, because it was read, um, seems like a while ago, um, but we'll read it again. So it's Acts 9, um, verse 36. So it says, in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which was translated as Docas, who was always doing good and helping the poor. About that time she became sick and died and her body was washed and placed in an upper stairs room. Lydia was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, 
they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once, verse 39. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was with them. Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down to on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all, all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner called Simon. So the first point really is, all saints, we are asleep. So we introduce to the character of Tabitha, a disciple of Jesus, who has fallen ill and dead in the Lord. The question I ask is, what relevance is Tabitha's death to us today at All Saints sitting here in Peckham? I want to challenge us to read Tabitha's story not as individuals, which at times I'm also guilty of coming to Scripture as individuals because my culture determines everything is individualistic. But maybe we should approach the Scriptures and Tabitha's story as a community, as a people, as a body, as All Saints Peckham together. So rather than reading the Scripture as a keen need in resurrecting power, and the new life, which I'm sure I do and I pray I encounter. But what about us reading this together as All Saints Peckham in need of resurrected life and resurrected power? Perhaps All Saints, we are, in, we are Tabitha in need of resurrecting. Maybe All Saints, we have also fallen ill and died. You're probably wondering why there's a massive mirror on the stage this morning. And part of, part of it is for me to say this statement, which you all know. Mirror, mirror. <laughs> uh, you guys can finish it. Mirror, mirror. Who is the fairest of them all? Is of course Sharon Akeem. <laughs> but on a more serious note, and I put the mirror strategically there because you can probably all see yourselves reflected in it. And it's more of reflecting who we are as all saints. And this mirror is very different from that mirror, which lies. This mirror tells truth. So I want us to look at the mirror as a people and to look within the mirror and see ourselves, our own reflections. A mirror never lies. What we are is what the mirror will show. If I am short, the mirror will never deceive me that I am tall. As I look at the mirror this morning, and I haven't got much sleep, I'm sure the mirror is not going to show that my face is as smooth as the baby Charlotte that was dedicated this morning. The mirror will show that I have a lot of wrinkles and ages upon me. But the truth is the mirror never lies. This morning I want, us to, I want to encourage us to look into the mirror and to honestly reflect who are we as All Saints Peckham? Where are we as All Saints Peckham? And who is God calling us to be as All Saints Peckham? 
I believe God has been speaking to us as a church, specifically to us as All Saints Peckham. So this is not a generic word for any other church. This is specific to us where we are placed as Peckham. The difficult question is, are we listening to what the Spirit may be speaking to us as a people? I wasn't there, but I saw the clip from Saturday's Theology in March by Reverend Richard. And he had a very strong word, which I think is in due season. And I quote, there is an image of a lovely well. So if you can bring up the PowerPoint. Yes, you can just leave there. So this is what he said. There is an image of a lovely well here at Peckham, or Saint Peckham, but it has wooden planks on top of the well, which has been put there to protect the well from nasty stuff getting inside and polluting the clean water. Inside the well, there is a fun, loving character who tries to peek out of the well. Richard felt that the fun character is the Holy Spirit of God. He quote, I quote, he said, the spirit wants to break out of the well, but we as a people, a community, a body, have placed some very nice stuff on top of the well. He mentioned a very nice church Bible we've placed on top of the well, which I love the Bible. I'm sure we all love the Bible, but we've placed that on the well. He mentioned we've placed some ecclesial documents He also mentioned the bishop's staff, which can represent authority. We've also placed the laws of the Church of England, he mentioned. And then he further goes on and says, some of us will even protest that we need to keep these nice stuff on the well. And he senses that God's spirit wants to break out and have some fun with us. My question to us this morning is, all saints... Are we ready to let go and trust the Spirit? Like Kira said two weeks ago, are we ready to follow God where God is inviting us to? In this sermon series, this new series, we will learn about the resurrected life, this new life that is available to us as individuals, but more importantly, as communities of believers. My task this morning is to draw our attention that we may be the ones, I may be the ones blocking the resurrected life of God that wants to break out in this place. In this church, in Peckham, me, myself, is blocking God from moving in this place. And we have sealed the well. I put this case to us. If the well is sealed, we are dead. We are like Tabitha. We have fallen ill and we have died. So maybe ponder what those planks may be that we have put on top of the well that has hindered and blocked the spirit from breaking out in this place. And this is a personal story of mine. Some of you know I'm training to become a theologian. And I love theology, I breathe theology, I read theology. If you come to my, my house, it's full of books. I love that stuff. But God in the last three years has been really challenging me with this statement that I make always to my home group, which is, God is bigger than my theology. And when, when that, came, that statement came to me many years ago, that rocked my word because my world because theology is all I know. The Bible is all I love, but for God to say to me, I'm bigger than your theology, what does that mean? 
I'm bigger than your theology. Another thing that I've also been challenged about is what I consider biblical preaching. I love to preach. And I've been preaching since I was 22. And I always remembered the thing that I love preaching about is expository preaching, which is taking verse by verse and breaking it down and going through it. And that's what I've always loved to do. But God has almost shaken me from it. Not that it's wrong, but God is bigger than expository preaching. No, no, indeed, God is. God is bigger than sentences that we can reduce him to. God's bigger than doctrines that we can put him under. God's bigger than, than whatever label we may put on ourselves. I'm a card-carrying Pentecostal by experience, not necessarily by theology. Some of you are card-carrying, you know, conservative, will, will have issues later on. But on a more serious note, I'm a Pentecostal by experience. But I have to come to terms that Jesus is not a Pentecostal. That might not feel comfortable with what I'm saying for some of you. Jesus is not an Anglican. You guys probably don't have an issue with that. <laughs> Jesus is not Church of England. That doesn't surprise us. Jesus is not Catholic. Jesus was not a Protestant. This might shock some of you guys. Jesus is not an evangelical. This might get me thrown out of the door, um, but I'll dare say this. Jesus wasn't even a Christian. So what, what's my point? My point is we've adopted these labels that actually are the things that can at times block the spirit from moving. My love for theology can be the very thing that keeps me from diving into what God is doing. I quote Kira, keep quoting Kira and Ivan, but I quote Kira. She said, do I expect God to show up in the same way that I'm familiar with, to look like the good, righteous, and holy that I know? Or am I able to be surprised by God, to see God in something that looks unlike me, unlike what I understand as righteousness or faithfulness, what my heritage I add denomination, tradition, theology, styles has affirmed what my education has taught me. Will I, will I see the new thing God is doing? Will I hear the invitation to join in? Or will I watch safely in the distance? If you remember the words Jesus said to the Pharisees, it says, for the sake of your tradition, you nullify the word of God. For the sake of your traditions, you nullify the word of God. I'm guilty of this. For the sake of my theology, for the sake of my traditions, for the sake of my heritage, I nullify the spirit. And this makes us feel uncomfortable. But the reality is that those things has limited, has boxed in, has nullified, has stopped, has quenched, and has killed the spirit. And once that happens, we might as well just close the door. Close the church. Ivan last week challenged us that we cannot do life on our own. And he said, I don't even know why I'm saying this. It's not in my script, but I'm saying this. We cannot do life on our own. And I add further on what Ivan said. All saints Peckham, 
We must never do church or ministry on our own. Apart from the Spirit, everything else we do will only originate from flesh and men's giftings. And it will all be dead. Dead works. Zero power cannot raise a fly. So I'm always conscious that I'm not resting on my natural giftings of speaking. So when I turn to the mirror, 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 who is on the... Mirror, mirror. But I'm going to read what Jesus may be saying through this mirror. It's Revelations 3. This has been on my heart, and I haven't wanted to share this because it's hard, but I'll read it. Perhaps this is what Jesus is saying from the wall to us as all saints. So these are the words from Jesus. It says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. All saints, you say this, I am rich. I've acquired wealth. And I do not need a thing. But this is what Jesus says to us. But you do not realize that you are wretched. You're pitiful. You're poor. You're blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you will become rich and white clothes to wear so that you will cover your shameful nakedness and slough to put on your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest, all saints, and repent. Maybe that's what Jesus is saying through the mirror. So if we are perhaps dead or asleep like Tabitha, in what other ways are we, do we share similarity with her? Second point is, Tabitha's life should challenge us, all saints. If we go back to Acts 9, verse 36, it says, it's the last part that's quite interesting of 36, where it basically says that Tabitha is known for doing good works and helping the poor. And then verse 39 also is quite important. It says, Peter went, them, went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas, Tabitha, had made while she was with them. But note that Luke mentions these widows. And we were discussing this in my home group on Tuesday where we asked, what's Tabitha's relationship with these widows? Why are they weeping and showing Peter the tunics or the other clothing that Tabitha had made while she was with them? Were they simply saying that she was an amazing fashion designer? Look at what she's made. How come we've lost her? Or are they saying something else? I like what Willie James Jennings in his commentary writes on this. He says, The story of Tabitha is the glory of a life lived well, lived in service to others. 
Tabitha's life, even in the fragments we gain in this story, hangs together beautifully as someone devoted to helping people, especially widows. Widows, that group of people vulnerable in Asian and current times, made vulnerable by death sting, have always been a special concern for God and here for Tabitha also. We know from this story that Tabitha's life was woven in good works and acts of charity, as verse 36 has told us. So the widows weep. They weep for her, and maybe they weep for themselves. We do not know if Tabitha was in fact one of them, but we do know that they claimed her as one who cared for them. Her glory joins the strong grief because to lose someone who cares for the weak and vulnerable, whose life is turned towards making a difference in the world and is making a difference is a bitter loss. The widows have lost Tabitha and a disciple is gone. If the doors of All Saints Peckham were to close this evening and this place was turned to beautiful flats, Will I equivalent, equivalent widows weep? I'll say it again. If the doors of All Saints Peckham was to close this evening and this place was turned to beautiful flats, will our equivalent widows weep? Being a widow in those times meant that you were probably one of the most vulnerable people group in society. Will the vulnerable of Peckham weep? Will our community weep? My question is not whether you will weep. I'm acquainted with grief. I became an orphan at 21, so I know grief very well. And I know if you're part of a family, you feel the grief the most. So I'm not asking you whether you will weep for All Saints closing down. I'm asking will our community weep for All Saints if the doors were to close this evening? Will the family struggling to meet the huge increase in the cost of leaving weep? And please do not misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we're not doing amazing works as a church. I acknowledge and celebrate the works of CAP, Christian Against Poverty, our food bank. Of course, I'll mention Brixton Prison because I'm part of them. But on a serious note, I know we're doing amazing work. But the question is, can our community say like Tabitha, now that is a church that was devoted to good works and acts of charity? Is that what they will say of us? We should follow Tabitha as Jesus follows Tabitha, where Jesus is to be found with the most oppressed of society. One of my favorite books by James Cohn, The God of the Oppressed. God is always to be found with the people that are most rejected in society. Look at the lives of Jesus. Where do you find Jesus? Some of the things that got him nailed on the cross was he dined and was always with sinners and people who he shouldn't have been with. And that's the story of Tabitha. Kira mentioned something last week called, two weeks ago, easy generosity, which her husband, uh, Trevor, I think coined. Easy generosity. And she mentions it that as a, uh, an older sister, she would always pass her, her clothes to her, her younger sister. And her sister thought she was the most generous person in the world. But it was easy generosity because she was going to give it away anyway. It costed her nothing. And so when we talk about good works and acts of charity, 
I'm not talking about easy generosity, and I'm guilty of this. The easiest thing I can do with generosity is give money, small or big. It costs me not much. Actually, I'm very far removed and detached. I give 10 pounds, I'm, I'm removed from the situation. But that's not the relationship that Tabitha cultivated with these widows. She could have sold them just the dresses that they celebrated about, but her life must have been so immersed and meshed with this people group that she became one of them. And that's the story of Jesus. His life was so ingrained with these people, these sinners, that actually people saw him as one of them. What's this guy doing? I thought he's a rabbi. He's dining with sinners. So I'm talking about costly generosity, not easy generosity, not just giving money away. And it also reminds me of the story of Jesus. And it makes me think about generosity and good works, how we need to think about how we do generosity. Who sets up the table that we invite those out to come in? Who are those who does do that? And you see that Jesus always is infatuated with being with people and being in their table, being at their table, eating their food, drinking their probably nasty wine, eating their food and going at their weddings. Not the other way around, not inviting people always to our table that we have prepared. What about receiving from the people who we think shouldn't give us anything? And there's something that has to happen there. Jesus received from the vulnerable. Do we receive from the vulnerable? Or do we give to the vulnerable in easy generosity? So my question is, will we follow Jesus where Jesus is to be found? In some Tabitha's devoted life, she follows her saviour where he's to be found, with the most vulnerable of society, and she lays down her body, her space, her time, her talent, her relationship, and becomes one with these widows. And she stands and calls us, all saints, will you join me as I follow Christ? My third word, and at this stage I invite the, the band In verse 40 and 42, we pick up the story again. It says, Peter sent them out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and prayed. Turning towards the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. Tabitha, get up. All saints, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she she sat up again. And then he took her by her hand and helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa and many believed in the Lord. So my, I know this is harsh words, but the mirror never lies. These are not my words. The mirror never lies. I want to encourage us as all saints, as Richard said, that we've put planks on the well and we have crushed the spirit. And if we're not careful, the doors will close. Maybe not my generation, but it will close. So I want us to shake off those labels. I have to start shaking off those things that I hold so dearly, my theology. I have to shake those things off Like Kira said, shake off those images of empire. 
and follow God where God is leading us. Those planks that dictate how we should expect God to move or what we expect God to look like. We need to break free and rise up. All saints, get up. I invite us to stand as I read these words from Isaiah 55 and also mixed with the words of Jesus. Isaiah 55, it says, Hear everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come and buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money, without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your earnings for which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. Incline your ears, all saints. Come to me. Listen so that you may live. Jesus invites us this morning like he invited a Samaritan woman. Let anyone who thirsts come to me and those who drink of water that I will give them water that they will never thirst again. This water I give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Lord, we are crushed by those weighty words, Lord. Lord, it comes as though it's pressing down on us, Lord. Lord, we have no legs to stand on, Lord. Lord, we know that you earnestly call us as your people to break those planks, to rip them open, Lord, to cause a revolution that can change this entire Peckham, Lord, that can change this entire nation, Lord, that can change your people. Lord, we pray your spirit to truly break out in our midst, Lord. Lord, remove everything that hinders you. Remove myself, Lord. Anything that stands in your way as though they are themselves God, Lord. I pray that, Lord, you flush them out and you will remove them aside, Lord. Lord, we do not come in the politics of compromise, Lord. Lord, we do not come in lukewarm manner, Lord. Lord, we do not come as middle of the road, Lord, but we come, Lord, asking that you come and tabernacle with your people this morning, Lord. We've come to meet you alone, Lord, no one else, Lord. We've come to meet your spirit in our midst, Lord. So we pray, spirit, break out. Spirit, break out. Break those chains that hold us, Lord. Our theology that keeps us bound, our, our ways in which we, we worship or pray, Lord, break those chains, Lord. And let there be freedom in this place like never before, Lord. Let there be freedom in this place like never before, Lord. Let us not be constrained by buildings, Lord, or the imaginations of men, Lord. But Lord, let us be walking in light of your spirit, Lord. So we pray once again, spirit, break out. Break out, Lord, and do those things only you can do, Lord.